0: To this morning's scripture reading, and uh, going to read from the, the book of Judges, a very familiar passage, especially uh, from a Gideon perspective. Although I've got no intentions of talking about Gideon's this morning, but it's uh, the story that Gideon members would refer to. So, we're going to read from the first 22 verses of Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jerubal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men for me to deliver Midian into their hands, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will sift them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, Separate those who lapped the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneeled down to drink. Three hundred men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. With all the other men go, each to his own place. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites to their tents, but kept the three hundred. Who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. The camp of Midian lay below him in the valley. During that night the Lord said to Gideon, Get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to go to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura, and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up, the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch. Just after they had changed the guard, they blew their trumpets and blocked the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars, grasping the torches in their left hands, and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Bethsheeta, towards Zerarah, and as far as the border of Abel-Meholah, near Tabath. Amen, we will ask God's blessing on this public reading of his precious words. The title for what I want to talk about this morning is No Reserve, No Retreat, No Regrets. Bill Borden, of the famous Borden-Milk family in America, turned his back on fame and fortune, and went to China as a missionary. His friends in America thought he had taken leave of his senses to walk away from a life of comfort and riches just to build churches, win souls, and preach the gospel in China. When they found his body, he was already dead for three days. They found him in his tent with a note under his thumb which read, No reserve, (coughs) no retreat, no regrets. No reserve. Well, when I was a lot younger, I had the privilege of visiting my aunt and uncle in America. And my cousin, they had a couple of cars, and they gave me a loan of this little Volkswagen Beetle mm-hmm. to run around, because they lived up in Hartford, in the middle of Connecticut, and my aunt and uncle stayed in Waterford, down on the coast. And so they gave me they'll use of this little Beetle to run around. And I was going up to Hartford this day, and... Uh, this little beetle did not have a petrol gauge. Which was interesting. And I don't know if you're aware, but you'll see the big orange buses, the school buses in America, and when their red lights flash, because they're going to stop, you do not pass. It's, you get done for that seriously. get locked up. And so I, on the back roads up to Hartford, I got behind this big orange bus. And eventually, you know, the red lights stopped. Couldn't get past until eventually... Big long split of straight road, and I got past. I had no sooner got past. The car went, ooh, uh, 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 And <laughs> ran out of petrol. But it had one little magic thing. It had a little lever, which you flicked over, and you got a reserve gallon in the tank. Mm-hmm. Something in reserve. You know, that's how we are. We love to have something in reserve. I wonder how many here have got a rainy day jar. I can always remember my mum, and my wife's the same. Rainy day jar. She would say to the kids, we're going away out. If anything happens, you know where the rainy day money is. We'll live still have something in reserve. There's a story told of two Irishmen on a plane crossing the Atlantic. And after about an hour, the pilot came on and said, I'm very sorry, folks, but we're going to be about an hour delayed. We've had to shut down one of the engines. I think we've got problems with the fuel or dirt in the fuel to this engine. So, we're going to be about an hour late, very sorry about that. Another half hour, and the pilot comes on again and goes, I'm really sorry, but we're going to be even more delayed, because obviously the fuel problem has gone on to the other engines, so we've had to shut down, but not to worry, the plane's got four engines, we're fine, we're just going to be that wee bit slower, we'll get there just the same. Half an hour later, pilot comes on again, and goes, I'm really, really, really sorry, we're now going to be about two and a half hours late, because." This problem seems to be persisting and it's now affected a third engine. And one Irishman turns to the other and says, "By Jove, are you not glad we've got four engines? we have been up here all day. <laughs> we love to have something in reserve. We love to just know that there's something there. But when we're about God's work, he insists that we keep nothing back. We empty ourselves of self. In Zechariah it says, This is the word of the Lord, Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. You know, so often we forget that when we're called into God's business, and we all are, when we become his children, then it's, about, it's all about him, not about us. But you know, God can only entrust his power to men and women who are humbled and emptied. Unconscious, not of their own gifts, but of their helplessness when it comes to God's business. In First Corinthians it reads, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. And the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Back into the Old Testament, remember Moses. You know, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years uh, looking after the sheep and then God goes, wee job for you Moses, 80 year old. By the way, that means we've got no excuses (laughs) because Moses would call the 80, got a wee job for you. I want you to go and get the children of Israel out of Egypt. But God, I can't, I'm not a good speaker. I've got speech impediment and so on and so forth. And they come up with all the excuses. You see, God just wants our availability. He'll do the rest. And that was a lesson that Moses had to learn, that he just needed to be obedient to God. George Muller wrote these words back in 1851. The Christian should never worry about tomorrow or give sparingly. Because of possible future need. Only the present moment is ours to serve the Lord. And tomorrow may never come. Money is really worth no more than as it can be used to accomplish the Lord's work. Life is worth as much as it is spent for the Lord's service. Are we holding ourselves in reserve? Thinking only of ourselves. I wonder. Are we trying to work for the Lord in our own strength and ability and failing to trust the Lord for all that he, all that we need to carry out his plans and purposes? It's so easy to do that. Oh, not for me, I can't do that. And yet, inwardly, we know that the Lord wants us to be doing something. You see, only when we recognise our weakness does he get glorified. Gideon went forth not with 32,000 men but with only 300 men so that the Lord's work would be done in the Lord's power and in his way. He had no reserves. He had 300 men, 300 flaming torches and 300 trumpets. That was it. Not exactly the way they thought they were going to fight against the Amalekites and the Midianites, was it? You see, they were doing it God's way, and in God's power, and in God's purpose. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in a valley, thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand and the seashore. I reckon those 300 knees were knocking. But they were obedient to what Gideon told them to do. Because the deep obedience was coming, because they knew that Gideon was a man of God that he knew that God had spoken to him and they were being obedient. Are we keeping ourselves in reserve, allowing others to carry out the Lord's work, even more still, seeing nothing done for the Lord? I wonder. By the way, I don't know what you do in this church, so please, this is a a statement that applies to each and every one of us. How about this, church? You can only answer for yourselves. It's in your hearts, it's between you and the Lord. Nothing to do with me. But that challenge is there. Somebody wrote, give to the needy sweet charity's bread. For giving is living, the angel said. And must I be giving again and again? My peevish, petulant answer ran. Oh no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give till the master stops giving to you. Hmm. It's a thought. Jim Elliot, who was one of the five missionaries killed who were participating in Operation Auca an attempt to evangelise the Hurari people of Ecuador, said this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. No reserve. He gave his all to reach those people, the Auca Indians, for the Lord. No reserve, no retreat. Well, we come from a great nation of fighters, of famous and distinguished army regiments that, on examination, have faced the foe across the four corners of the globe. Seldom has it been recorded that they ever retreated in the face of the enemy. And on many occasions they gave their lives in the defence of others. But you know, we don't need to be in the regular army to be in a battle situation. Because God's word tells us. In 1 Peter 5 and 8 it says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. In Ephesians it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world. And against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It also says in 2 Chronicles, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. You know, sometimes we come across situations and we want to back off, we want to retreat. But you know, when God calls us, he expects us to stand firm. And As it's already said there, the battle belongs to the Lord. He just wants our availability. How available are you and I to what the Lord wants to do? You know, the very battle that we're thinking about might actually commence within our hearts. That struggle within do I or don't I? Should I or shouldn't I? Is that really what God wants? Looking for excuses, looking for a way to retreat. You know, we pray regularly the Lord's Prayer. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's the Father's will then? It says in John 6 and 40, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How much do we really mean that prayer? Thy will be done, Lord. Or is it something simply that we've learned, possibly as a young person, and we just roll it off? It just becomes a, a standard phraseology almost. Or do we really mean that prayer when we pray? You know, Gideon could have given up and called it a day when he saw the vast army lying there down in the valley before him. For in realistic terms, using conventional means, they were indeed lambs to the slaughter. But God doesn't use conventional means. In this case, he uses torches and trumpets. What about David and Goliath? Hey, there was the whole Israeli army with Saul, King Saul, up against the Philistines. And gold Goliath comes out and goes, Hey, who's going to fight me? and They all backed off. And along comes the shepherd boy who had been sent up to the front line with, with some sandwiches for his brothers, some lunch. And he goes, hey, the Lord's protected me against lions and bears. Hey, I'm up for this. And he takes his little sling and a few pebbles. And of course, we know the story. He defeats Goliath and they win the battle. In a sense, that's almost telling us something that God doesn't necessarily use conventional means. You know, are we still using conventional means to reach people with the gospel? If indeed we're even doing that. You know, sometimes the last place that folk want to come is into a church building. Because quite often you use a different language. You speak to each other in terms that they don't understand. They could be in a Polish place. They wouldn't know. The terminology and the words that are used are totally alien to them. Now, please believe me, I'm not trying to be and would never want to be derogatory, but we need to understand there's a lost world out there. For God so loved the world. That includes everybody, not just the people here. And we need to reach these people with the good news. Whether we fancy their lifestyle or not, they still need to know that God loves them and Christ died for them. That is our task when we know the Lord is our Saviour. You know, when you actually think of the hymns that we've sung this morning, how many people from out there would know what was meant by half the words that are used or the phraseology that's been used in those hymns, but they still need to be reached with the good news of the gospel. They still need to know that Jesus loves them. You know, I can always remember taking three three friends to a it was a Youth for Christ dinner, and. At the end of the... It was Tony Campolo. It was in a hotel in Glasgow. And Roy Crown was the new uh, director for Youth for Christ. And at the end of the, the meal, we listened to Tony and he had preached about the love of God. And Roy Crown s- said, that, you know, for ongoing work, there's going to be an offering. And I just crunched. Here was a gospel message and one of the, the friends that uh, was with me who I treated to the dinner said, well, it's a Christian thing. I'm always expecting to be asked for money. Asked to pay to hear the gospel. Now, that should never have been asked. If Roy Crowley needed money, then he should have spoken to the, the folks that were there that were Christians. I had three non-Christians. <clears throat> what impression did that give them? It ruined the whole Message that Tony, the free love of God, free to us, but cost God everything in the life of his son. You know, we need to be aware of these things, especially when we endeavour to reach the others for the Lord. So are we prepared to change things and use unconventional means to win the battle for the Lord? Love, friendship, fellowship over a meal. Are we prepared to take the battle to the enemy? Or even find some neutral ground? I can always remember working with Salt Mine and some of the places they went to to assist churches in the gospel message. They would take over a room in a pub. There was no alcohol getting sold in that room. But it was a place that folk felt comfortable with. They would walk into the bar and say, Look, we're having a, uh, would you like to come and join us for a meal? You know, we'll have a little chat, a little blether. Would you like to come? And folk would come in because they felt comfortable where they were. You know, the world around us, especially in this country, is getting darker and darker and darker. Life is getting more difficult for Christians. Time is running out for us to really be salt and light in the society where God has placed us. We really need to say, Lord, show us the way. We'll just put aside what we know as our norm. That we can take your precious message to others. No reserve. No retreat. How about no regret? It says in 2 Corinthians For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due to him for the things done while on the body whether good or bad. How will you and I feel on that day when we stand before the Lord? It's a story told of a, a pastor and a bus driver and both had passed from this life and we're standing waiting for entry into heaven. And St. Peter was at the gate. And the bus driver was in the first in the queue. And he says, what's your name? Well, my name's Joe Bloggs. Um, I was a bus driver. And uh, uh, I accepted Jesus way, 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 way back. So St. Peter looked up the, the Book of Life. Yeah, see your name, Joe Bloggs, it's here. He says, right, he says, See that big mansion in the hill? That's yours. Go live there, enjoy. And so behind them was this pastor. He's going, Listen to that. Wow. If he's getting this mansion, <coughs> what am I, a pastor, going to get? And so eventually the pastor gets to the front of the queue. And St. Peter says, Yes. And he says, Well, I'm the Reverend I.B. Jolly. <laughs> and I was a minister in Scotland. Yes, yes, I see your names here. Mm He said, Well, see that little shack in the valley? That's yours. Go and enjoy. The minister says, Excuse me. He said, How come the chap before me, who was only a bus driver, got that big mansion? And me, a minister, gets this little shack? He says, Well, it's quite simple. You're rewarded on the basis of results. When he drove, people prayed. When you spoke, people slept. (laughs) You know, I wonder, are we going to have regrets when we get to heaven? Because the way we've lived (coughs) our lives caused people to turn off. in Philippians it says i eagerly expect and hope that i will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now as always christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death for to for to me to live is christ and to die is gain if i am to go on living in the body this will be fruitful labor for me yet what shall i choose i do not know i am torn between the two i desire to depart and be with christ which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Paul had no regrets, whether on earth or in heaven. He was totally committed to serving the Lord His complete desire was to see souls won for Christ. Jesus had no reserves. In Acts 2 and 23 says, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. There was nothing left. Jesus was and is the one and only living sacrifice for our sins. Jesus never retreated. In John 19 it says, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. He went all the way for you and me and for the folks that live out there.
1: He had no regrets.
0: It says in John 14, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be where I am. A missionary once said, I have but one candle of life to burn. And I would rather it burn out where people are dying in darkness than in a land that is flooded with light. Well, I cannot tell you. This land that we live in, used to be the land of the book, is becoming darker by the day. George W. Peter said, you know the world is far more ready to receive the gospel than Christians are to hand it out. Maybe it's the way we tell it, as though the comedians used to say. It's maybe the way we tell it. Maybe we haven't been clear enough and simple enough saying, you know, God loves you. Might not like your lifestyle, but God loves you. And Christ died for you. Can I be your friend? When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he shows me his plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had he had his way, and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Will there be grief in my Saviour's eyes, grief though he loves me still? He would have me rich and I stand there poor. Stripped of all but his grace. While memory runs like a hunted thing. Down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break. With the tears that I cannot shed. I shall cover my face with my empty hands. I shall bow my uncrowned head. Lord of the years that are left to me. I give them to thy hand. Take me. And break me and mould me to the pattern thou hast planned. A little boy was offered the opportunity to select a puppy for his birthday. And the two was taken along to the pet shop, and there was a whole doze of puppies there, all running around, squealing their heads off. And he picked one, his tail was wagging furiously. And his mum said to him, Why did you pick that puppy? He says, I wanted the one with a happy ending. Is <laughs> ours going to be a happy ending with no regret because we held nothing in reserve and we never retreated? Amen. 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 We're going to sing our final hymn, hymn number 20.